Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to Seriously, the podcast from the New Statesman that takes pop culture seriously. I'm Caroline Crampton. And I'm Anna Leskovich. This week we're going to be talking about the Netflix comedy Lovesick and Taylor Swift and Zayn Malik's duet I Don't Want to Live Forever. Anna has also watched Crazy Ex-Girlfriend for the first time, so she'll be telling us how that went later in the show. Hello. Hello. Welcome back to another episode of Seriously. So we announced our Harry Potter quiz last week and it was super popular. The tickets all sold out in about 15 minutes, which was amazing. Yes, thank you so much to everyone who bought one. It's really, really surprising and pleasing that you all want to come so much. I know, and it always makes us really sad when we get emails from people disappointed that they missed out on tickets. So as we got a lot of messages about the Harry Potter quiz from people, we have added another date which is on the 4th of January 2017, so it's a little earlier than the first one. Tickets will go on sale on Wednesday, the 14th of December, so that's tomorrow if you're a subscriber who downloads speedily. If you're keen to get tickets, do go to srslypod.com and click on events, and all the links will be there, or follow us on our social feeds. And at midday, on Wednesday the 14th, tickets to that 4th of January date will become available. And we can't emphasise enough that you should definitely follow us on social media and stuff, because it did sell out in under 20 minutes. I think basically because people on Twitter saw it. We look forward to seeing as many of you as possible there. I mean, doing a Harry Potter quiz has definitely been a long-term ambition for us in this podcast. And the joy of the Gilmore Girls quiz was seeing actual listeners' actual faces. So yeah, some more of those would be great. Definitely the highlight of the night amid a really great night was when someone quite shyly came up to me afterwards and was like, I really, really love your podcast and then ran away. Oh, that's brilliant. And I was like, do more of that. You're amazing. I wish you'd stayed so we could chat, but thank you so much for doing that. Speaking of exciting things seriously related in the works, as you will probably be aware, Christmas is approaching and at Christmas time we like to do a couple of special things, don't we? Christmas is a very important time pop culture wise, so we like to have you properly equipped for what is coming up for the season. This is actually the last regular Seriously episode until January because next week you will be getting a special Seriously Christmas movie. Last year it was Love Actually, which was very popular. I don't think there is a film of Love Actually standard that we can do again of that much debate and interest. 
but we're going to do our best. We're not going to tell you what it is yet because, you know, it's nice to know things other people don't. We'll tell you when it comes around. You'll see. Um, this <laughs> is not the point to, of Christmas presents. This is me trying to be mysterious. I suck at it. I'm sorry. Uh, <laughs> but anyway, so next week, special Christmas movie episode with special guests. Mm -hmm. And then the week after that, the week between Christmas and New Year, there will be a special Christmas TV episode recapping everything that's been on the box over Christmas, basically. Yeah, so Americans, this will be Brit focused, but come on, you love a bit of British TV at Christmas time, get into it. There are so many good things coming up, so you will love that episode and especially any uh, Toby Jones fans in the house. <gasps> Yeah, can we just say, if you're a Toby Jones fan or you know one, you need to get them involved in this because this is basically the Christmas of Toby Jones. And uh, just one special hint for fans of British TV. Say no more. So yeah, that's going to be really, really fun. But this week, we're not quite in the full festive mode. And the first thing we're going to talk about is Lovesick, a British sitcom created by Tom Edge, starring Johnny Flynn, Daniel Ings and Antonia Thomas. It follows Dylan as he is diagnosed with chlamydia and must contact all of his previous sexual partners to inform them that he has the disease. Originally known as Scrotal Recall, which I kind of love <laughs> still, and first broadcast on Channel 4 in October 2014, the programme uses flashbacks and reunions to explore Dylan's love life. A second series was produced by Netflix this year. You've tested positive for chlamydia. That, that doesn't sound positive. You'll need to contact your previous sexual partners. All of them? No, just the ones you like. It's been 11 years since I lost my virginity and what have I got? I'm calling them. I, I'm thinking of visiting some of them. What matters here, Dylan, is that you get back on the horse. What about her? She's cute. Yeah, not her. She's my best friend. I'm sorry about your girlfriend. She wasn't the one. Not everyone has to be the one. So then I guess the question is, what do you do while you're waiting? I'm still on season one. So I haven't I, ventured yeah. into the Netflix helped series two of this show, but we're going to chat a little bit about season one. Yeah, so the first thing I have to say is that I did not know Johnny Flynn was in this. Johnny Flynn, who is mostly important and well-known in this family for <laughs> making the theme tune to Detectorists. Yeah, Johnny Flynn is like a folk singer, yeah. but I feel like mostly from like 10 years ago. I went mm. to like a Johnny Flynn concert with Me some too. friends from school. Yeah, <laughs> so I feel like, yeah, Johnny Flynn is like that sort of space in your brain. And now he's the lead in this rom-com and it's all a bit like whoa I really? did see him in a production of Twelfth Night at the Globe Theatre a couple of years ago that seems folk singer related yeah. somehow doesn't it you're just like yeah put on a pair of tights exactly say some verse, that was it. the one with Mark Rylance and Stephen Fry in Ooh, and it big names. kind of made sense to me that they would get like moderately well-known folk singer Johnny Flynn to be mm -hmm. in a kind of celeb cast of a play that is mostly about music so then him popping up in like a channel 4 sitcom about chlamydia was a bit more like hmm yeah, interesting and more of a gamble from them but he does have this weird charm doesn't he I assume he's pretty posh Johnny Flynn I, I was going to say, floppy head. I don't think his charm is that weird. I think it's quite mainstream. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes, maybe. But he's one of those people who you can imagine, you know how like certain comedians, like someone like Russell Howard, I feel like would top like a weird crush list, even yeah. though they're pretty mainstream and, and yeah, universal in their charm. Basically what I'm trying to dance around saying here is Johnny Flynn is not like mainstream, traditionally handsome, mm, yeah. but he's still good looking. He does have a very square jaw. Yes. So he's Dylan and Dylan is sort of the framing narrative of this is Dylan realising that he's got chlamydia and being like, fuck, I'm going to have to call up all these people.
people and inform them and do the right thing. And then we get lots of like 18 months earlier Mm. and we see him, you know, wooing this woman and we find out about what their relationship was like. And then the real narrative pushing it all along is his relationship with his best friend, right? Um, Yes. Evie. There's some clearly some sort of crush feelings going on there and I'm not quite sure how it is explored in later episodes and how it is resolved. But that's the sort of driving force as is often the case with these sort of comedy dramas. Yeah, and the use of flashback is really clever, actually. Mm -hmm. And it's one of the things I like the most about it, I think, actually, because I feel like flashbacks in your traditional sitcom can be quite corny or even massively (laughs) playful. That's exactly what I'm thinking of, (laughs) where they they, like flashback to Fat Monica or something. I feel like generally it gets used in the sitcom in a slightly comedic way, you know, with like a whooshing noise and and then a kind of... sepia filter and whatever pop music of the time blasting through the stereos. Exactly. Whereas... You can't do that with six months earlier, to be fair. Yeah. So flashback in Lovesick is a lot more... Yeah, it's integral to how the story works. It moves around a lot more. It's not like we go back five years and then we come back to the present. It Mm -hmm. goes back, as you say, like six months, 18 months in different periods and times to particular events. And it creates this really interesting like tapestry of the characters and how they've developed while still being quite a short, punchy show. And I feel like maybe this isn't just my lack of intelligence as a viewer, but I feel like often you're a bit like, ooh, wait, so she's not living with them anymore? Mm. They don't explain everything for you. It's not like handed to you on a plate. So you work to sort of figure out what's going on with everyone's relationships exactly and that actually i find works in terms of giving you lots of like mini little jolts of realization in a show that let's face it doesn't have a massively cliffhangery plot no not can, much at stake you can suddenly be like oh she's with him now or like oh i did not know that was going to happen you know that, mm-hmm. that's quite interesting i also think the cast in this is really good mm. and really interesting so i think for me maybe the writing of this show isn't like so novel or original that you're like wow yeah. what a great look at this particular thing but it's done with like a warmth that is very nice and a lot of that relies on these really like good performances so even the sort of cocky sex mad best male mate of Dylan is drawn with a little bit more subtlety and it is slightly more likable than he might be in other things yeah I do find him the funniest actually yeah like, in terms funny. of proper like laugh out loud gags like I <laughs> I rewatched the first episode, which I watched a really long time ago. Mm-hmm. And the bit where he's trying to counsel Dylan, you know, who's just been broken up with at a wedding to, you know, get out and enjoy the sex opportunities of the wedding. And then later on, Dylan's kind of been chatting with the vicar and she's like taking pity on him and she kisses him on the cheek. And the friend scene, he's like, oh, top of the wedding pyramid, yeah. the vicar, get <laughs> yeah. in, son. It's really funny. Yeah, I like that stuff. One thing that is definitely in the writing rather than the performances is that they're not afraid to go like really naughty. So like you'll see people actually having sex in a cupboard and things like that. And I think that's definitely part of its success. But I really think they're all very good at just taking those little lines of dialogue and making them very full of character. And I think Antonia Thomas is especially Yeah, she's really great. Good. She's so good. And then like Nikki Amuka Bird is in episode two. Yes, and so has she like is. a yeah, really yeah. Uh, like a great role. Previously so. seen in NW. And Luther. And Luther, yeah. yeah. So and just like a phenomenal actress, basically. And it's so funny to see someone that phenomenal an actress in this sort of quite quirky, strange sitcom. And they've also gone for like random folk singer. Like the casting's quite unusual, mm. but I think it really works because they've all got a connection and that it's all about this idea that like everyone's a bit shit at relationships, but fundamentally people's hearts are in the right place, which might be a rosier look at relationships than some people would like. But I think it really works in this. You are absolutely right because I agree with you about the writing and actually as I was re-watching a couple of episodes 
I was like, mm, I can kind of take or leave this on a plot basis. Mm -hmm. And actually, if you cast what you might think of as like mainstream obvious choices for these roles, then this would absolutely be on BBC Two on a Friday night at 8pm starring that comedian called Lee, Lee Mack. You know <laughs> what I mean? It or would it be, would just be something really bland. With or like, Jack Whitehall would be in it. Yeah, exactly. You know, it would be very like what the BBC thinks is the lowest common denominator for a like Friday night primetime show. And but some I, of that naughty stuff would be taken out. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. But I think what they've ended up with is something that is quite strange, but really, really charming. Like, that's the word I would use to describe yeah. lovesick. Now we're going to talk about I Don't Want to Live Forever, which is a duet by Zayn Malik and Taylor Swift, released in December 2016 for the trailer of the Fifty Shades Darker film. It follows on from Beyonce's sultry cover of Crazy in Love for the first Fifty Shades film trailer. It's also the first song that Taylor Swift has released since 1989 came out in 2014. Ah, of course. Because she had those This Is What You Came For vocals, but they were sort of hidden in the back, weren't they? They yeah. weren't really. Yeah, that's true. It's a funny song. So it's written by Jack Antonoff and yeah. Sam Dew. It's funny how much it sounds like it could have been on Zayn's album. And we were actually debating earlier whether... I think it's actually Zayn Malik featuring Taylor yeah, Swift, isn't I it? Think, so I think it's Zayn feat Taylor Swift, It's yeah. primarily a Zayn song, and it very much sounds like one. Mm -hmm. uh, and it totally could have been on Mind of Mine. And yeah, I like it like I liked Mind of Mine. Yeah. It's a very like easy to listen to electro R and B type vibe, yeah. isn't it? But I'd also thought some of those that that electro side of electro R and B when it comes in on this song, it does sound like it could be on nineteen eighty nine and Jack Antonoff mm. co wrote some of the songs on nineteen eighty nine and had a role in, in that album. I feel like the Fifty Shades film franchise have really sold themselves on their music. They have, and I would compare it actually to the way that they used music for the new adaptation of The Great Gatsby mm, a few yeah, years ago. Yeah, it was like that, because they both had like, both Beyonce, had Beyonce songs in yeah. it. Yeah, so I think because obviously the Fifty Shades books were such a massive global bestseller, but also so controversial, both for their content and for how ultimately crap they are. The film franchises had to do something to get away from that. Because there was a lot of bad PR surrounding that first film, mm. right? And obviously this stuff is so much longer, further in the works than people realise, so I'm sure it's a bit of a coincidence, but I feel like the promotion of all the music around the first Fifty Shades film sort of took away a little bit from the fact that everyone was like, my God, Dakota Johnson and Jamie Dornan don't have any chemistry and they really hated each other and they don't get along like that do you remember that long Jezebel yeah, piece yeah, like yeah. analyzing their relationship if you haven't read that guys go and read it because it's so funny it's like clips from all the promo videos they had to do and like gifs of them like recoiling at one another's touch it's yeah. so funny and well, they do have terrible chemistry in the film they do but I so I've seen the first film I don't think you have no I've seen bits of it um it, it is Nick was watching it the other night actually so I saw, saw a bit of it the other night I was like wow they're so wooden 
is not a good movie. There's no choice about that. But it is also weirdly an interesting movie. Not least because it does have a female director mm-hmm. and therefore does actually portray sex from a woman's point of view in that stuff like like when he goes down on her, it focuses on her face. Mm. Rather- Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Other than on like what he's doing to her, it's how she's feeling about what he's doing mm-hmm. to her. Zoe Margolis wrote a piece for the New Statesman, I think, when the piece came out, which I'll try and find and put in the in the notes about this being like, despite everything, actually the Fifty Shades movie might have the most female gaze centered portrayal of sex in a blockbuster movie ever. Mm, it's reminding me of our Outlander discussion a little bit. Yeah. The climax, for want of a better word, of the first <laughs> film is basically this scene where he like goes a bit too far and like is whipping her but hurts her too much and then she gets really upset and leaves and obviously i've just like never seen an unsexier take with so much nudity in it in my life like dakota johnson is like stood there full frontal naked and it is so unsexy deliberately obviously because it's a scene in which her consent is basically violated and you don't want that to be titillating but i think in in another director's hands it might well have been this like very titillating scene but she just literally like stands there completely naked and it's a really wide shot it's not like focusing on any one particular bit of her body then she like walks out of the room and jamie dornan's fully clothed and the power dynamics are so obvious and it's really uncomfortable so that's why i actually think it's a more interesting film than it necessarily its association with the book allows it to be Mm -hmm. because yeah sex is primarily depicted as a power thing um yeah and the music is actually a big part of that because in the film there was you know there were the interesting covers like Beyonce song and so on but also there's actually a scene in the first book I mean for people like me who really like classical music and and early classical music at that this was just so horrifying when I first (laughs) read it because there's this one particular scene where he like spanks her or something he does something to her while she's got a blindfold on and she's got Thomas Tallis's Spem in Allium playing 
I don't know what that is, but it it's, sounds dirty. It's not at all. It's a 40-part, like, Renaissance motet from, like, the 1600s. Ah, motet, of And course. it's a really beautiful piece of music. And for some reason, I think probably the association is that, like, it has 40 different voices in it and it, like, slowly builds to a climax right. kind of thing, musically speaking. So I guess that's why. But, yeah, so anyway, what I'm trying to say is that Fifty Shades has a more interesting relationship with music and right. using music than perhaps you would think. So this song has quite like vague lyrics about craziness, mm. which is something obviously the Crazy in Love Beyonce cover was also aiming for. And I think some of the other songs on that first album had a similar approach. So it's like Zane and Taylor both being like, oh, I'm going so crazy and like you're so bad for me, but also... I'm obsessed with you, which I think applies to both characters in yeah. various ways. But it's it's all extremely vague. And yes, it is. It's not like a lyrical masterpiece, is it? No, it's mostly the sound of the vocal and the kind of, yeah, the slightly electro-y aspects of it that I liked. Yeah, and the clicking I quite liked. Yeah, There's the like clicking was good. Finger clicking yeah. going on in there. So we should talk, though, about the re-emergence of Taylor. She's had, like, a fairly contentious time since the last album came out, right? Because I feel like that was such a peak for her. Yeah. And since then, it's sort of been, like, like the decline and fall of Taylor Swift in the public eye. Yeah, there's all the Kim and Kanye stuff, which I think we have talked about before on the podcast. There's, you know, the fact that she hasn't put any new music out mm-hmm. for actually a surprisingly long time for her. I remember so vividly in those Kim Kardashian Snapchats where she's on the phone to Kanye, her being like, I'm this close to overexposure. Mm. And obviously for years and years, it had all been about building the brand, building the brand, building the brand. And then suddenly she had this her real, real peak with this album where everyone was listening to Taylor Swift and she was like, fuck, I'm actually getting on people's nerves now. Yeah. And that's exactly what happened. And a few misplaced comments from her that were like completely racially tone deaf and things like that have just meant that she's lost that like golden girl image that mm. she once had, especially in our sort of circles. And even I was thinking of, I was watching Crazy Ex-Girlfriend on your recommendation, which we'll be talking about later in the show. And there's a line in that where they say that she's like weird and cold or something. And even that, which is like this explicitly like feminist framework that sort of jokes about not pitting women against each other in the media, even Mm. they feel that they're sort of able to like make a bit of a joke about Taylor Swift because most sort of very loud feminists would know that she's sort of not meeting those credentials in some way. So she's sort of fair game to tease. I think you can tell with this release, because I do think it's under Zayn's name and her vocals are not the primary focus of the song and she's shared it on her channels but the visuals are just like promo for the film she hasn't i don't think she really even shared any snaps of her like with zane working on the studio he did but i don't think she did so it's more been zane's thing and i think that probably reflects her approach to her brand at the moment which is just staying out of it basically yeah i think so i did see some speculation as to whether this was taylor swift's like sexy comeback you know what does an artist do after they've you know had had their previous image kind of tainted for whatever reason a lot of the time if they're madonna say they come back wearing a smaller outfit yeah maybe but she hasn't i don't i haven't seen much of her maybe she'll there'll be like a big performance where she Mm. brings it all back but i think because she's made so many mistakes by being outspoken and you know getting involved in the kim and kanye stuff was like such a terrible move and she came across so badly that i think now she is trying to sort of take her back seat in all this stuff but we'll see i'm sure she'll eventually she'll come out all guns blazing again
eyes wide open behind these four walls Hoping you come It's just a cruel existence Like it's no point hoping at all Last week, I recommended that Anna have a go at Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, which is a Netflix comedy with a surprising musical angle to it. Mm -hmm. Anna, what did you make of it? So it's funny because obviously I've been talking about La La Land for the last 10 years and this is another sort of musical that tries to sell itself as like a bit more down to earth. Mm. Yeah, I liked that about it. I liked the sort of down to earth vibe. Yeah, so the sort of just brief outline of it is Rachel Bloom plays Rebecca who at the beginning we see she works in a New York law firm and she's kind of uptight and really really unhappy and just everything's going really badly in her life oh my god I really wanted her to take the promotion she gets offered this promotion and she's like but I'm so unhappy that I'm you know I'm not going to take it I'm just going to do something else for my happiness instead she's sort of having this crisis but when I was like oh my god you work so hard for this take the fucking promotion (laughs) which just shows how much is drilled into us as like young ambitious-ish women to be like yes you have to take the opportunity that's been given to you and obviously it is quite brave that she doesn't do that yeah so she instead moves from New York to California because a guy called Josh who she dated 10 years before when they were both teenagers and at summer camp she randomly bumps into him again on the street and he tells her where she's moving to yeah he's moving back to I think where he's from in West Covina California Mm -hmm. so she's like I'll move there yeah. everything will be great I'll get back with Josh and it'll be amazing and the running gag is that she's like no I didn't move here for Josh like Josh was moving here so it, it encouraged me to move here but yeah. I, that it was for totally different reasons he just inspired me and yeah so she is sort of like the titular crazy ex-girlfriend in that she's just stalked him yeah and because she doesn't know anyone else in this place it's kind of natural that she ends up hanging out with Josh or Josh's friends or people from work Primarily. except it's not that natural she really forces it yeah no she does <laughs> it's like, really, like it's really funny how you do sort of think oh well they know each other but they don't really know each other mm. and so she is really like shoehorning her way into their their sort of lives in a way that's really awkward but I really like the sort of idea that this is about like a quote crazy person and she's doing all these like crazy things but obviously done in a way that completely doesn't validate those choices but it makes them very human and it makes them feel like you could imagine yourself doing it if those very specific set of circumstances arised so I like that it's completely deconstructing that idea of the crazy ex-girlfriend as it presents it yeah but it also has something that I remember from when we talked about Jessica Jones actually where yeah Rebecca's presented as crazy and a total mess but she's also like the best lawyer the law firm that she joins has ever seen Mm. and consistently does stuff like there's I don't know if you've seen this yet but there's a, a little subplot in an episode where her friend from work has a son who I think has ADHD or some kind of like learning um impairment or something and because he's always late and not concentrating and stuff the school tries to kick him out and basically Rebecca like gives her all of the arguments that she needs Mm -hmm. to keep him in schools and it works and she's totally successful at that so there is just this nuanced idea of like okay, fine, in some senses she's a crazy ex-girlfriend, but in other senses she's also a really functional person. Yeah, I like that kind of element of it. The songs in this, normally a musical, right, the songs are to explore the, like, high-octane emotional Mm. peaks and troughs of the episode, but in this it works quite differently in that they'll be, like, in a club and she'll be like, right, now it's the sexy getting ready song or whatever. (laughs) So it's not actually about her emotional journey, it's more about, like, 
the the humor of a certain situation and in that respect it reminded me a lot of like an amy schumer yes, sketch same. Yeah, yeah. like a song parody from her it's much more like that than like the traditional musical thing which for me was hit and miss because sometimes they're funny and sometimes they feel too much like an amy schumer parody because some of hers are not so funny yeah right so for me th- those are hit and miss i actually really liked the like for example the song about her moving to west covina yeah and, like it being about a completely fictional thing but just really it, it just really worked and i sometimes think that sort of slightly sideways approach that less obvious approach into the humor is where it's at its best and i like well i like rachel bloom i like how much she throws herself into whatever musical style she's currently mm-hmm. portraying um, you have to go for it yes yeah, yeah absolutely but that's i think that's partly why i and probably quite a lot of other women like me like the show so much is because she just goes for it and basically invites you to make fun of her. Mm-hmm. One thing I'm interested with this, so I've only seen the first three episodes and I feel like a lot of shows about these sort of very surface level funny women who are sort of masking their insecurities with their funniness, like Fleabag, they get better as they go along because you get you sort of get through that mm. immediate level and I wonder if the same thing's going to happen with this and that actually maybe I'll enjoy it a little bit more when we're, when we're seeing more of Rebecca's vulnerability and stuff. Yeah, I think I think that is wet the way it goes so yeah so i think i might stick with it for that reason maybe more than the fact that i'm just like enjoying it loads so what are you going to recommend me for next next time actually it'll be january when we talk about this yeah so you've got christmas to do this so i thought i'd go for a book yay but it's not a book that should take you all christmas to read it's a book of short stories called the shore by sarah taylor so it's about an island or it's set on an island off the coast of virginia and it follows all these different generations of people so oh i love a generational novel yeah so the first i think it goes from like the early early 1800s or maybe even the late 1700s um all the way to like 2136 or something wow this sounds fascinating yeah and you just get one short story which is a snapshot from like the 80s or a snapshot from 2030 they're not in chronological order they're sort of all over the place so you might be like oh wait that person's auntie is the one from Mm. the 1992 story and now i'm seeing her and she's like 16 and that you sometimes it takes a little while to make those connections But it's really, really good and it's sort of united thematically as well. Most of the characters that we look at are like strong women or women experiencing gendered violence in some way. So it's really an exploration of like this, I almost want to say matriarchy over that period, even though most of the time they're not in any sort of position Mm. of power. So it's really interesting. Sometimes it can be quite heavy, but I think you'll really enjoy it. Yeah, that sounds fascinating. And actually, that prompts me to remember that a couple of listeners, after we talked about Swing Time last week, asked if when we're talking about books, we can always give you a few weeks notice so that you can go and read them or reread them if you want to. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to make a books page on the seriouslypod.com website uh, where I will put what books we're we're currently reading and roughly when we're going to talk about them. So this will be the the first episode when we get back in January. Yes, the first episode of the new year. Thank you for listening to this episode of Seriously, the pop culture podcast from the New Statesman. If you've enjoyed the show, why not subscribe to make sure you never miss another episode? You can find us wherever you get your podcasts, including in iTunes, where you could leave us a rating and review. It helps other people find the show. One date for our Seriously Harry Potter quiz is now sold out. However, due to popular demand, we've added another one on the 4th of January 2017. Tickets for this will go on sale at midday on the 14th of December. So head to seriouslypod.com and click on events to get one. Also, 
there on the website you'll find all our back episodes including our specials on Gilmore Girls Harry Potter Friends and most relevantly at this time of year Love Actually we're also available many other places on the internet including on Twitter Facebook and Tumblr we're SRSLYpod on all of them make sure you're following so you don't miss out on Harry Potter quiz tickets we love getting your recommendations for things we should feature on the show or just hearing your thoughts on what we've discussed get in touch on social media or email us on seriouslypod at gmail.com and if you feel strongly that more people should take pop culture seriously then spread the word and tell your friends and family about the podcast planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with quince quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like european linen premium luggage options buttery soft italian leather bags and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.